At Kroger, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Kroger app and save from wherever today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Kroger, fresh for everyone. All right, all right. Kara, we finally made it to this podcast episode. Dr. D, I'm very, very happy to finally be talking to you. I know. It's great times. I mean, uh, you're in New York City, right? In that area? Yes. Yeah, I'm in New York. Mm -hmm. Okay. Are you a lifelong New Yorker or, or what? Oh, good question. So I grew up in upstate New York in a small town. And then as soon as I turned 18, I broke out and moved to the city, which was really only an hour and a half from where I was from. Mm -hmm. um, but I've been here ever since. Wow. How do you like it? Love it. Man, some people Love are it. built for that, you know, and some people aren't, you know, it's, it's interesting. The New York City saw a huge amount of people. Well, I don't know how huge it was, honestly, but some people moved out right during the last couple of years was what happened. And, you know, do you see like people coming back into the city? You know, it's so funny because, you know, I couldn't wait to get out of my town and move to Manhattan. And, uh, and then when the, when the pandemic hit, you couldn't get anything, a bed of breakfast, like not an Airbnb, <laughs> everything was, you know, everyone wanted yeah. to go back to where I'm from. And yeah. I'm like, well, oh, yeah, I mean, I did go up there for a little bit, but um, yeah, I think people are coming back. The city's coming back. Broadway's back. Shows are back. Right. Live performance. So yeah, we're coming back. All right. So let's jump into this because I, I like your, your story is very interesting. So you have this uh, new book, a memoir, right? About yes. kind of a dream and a day job. So where did this come from? Let's get kind of the, the genesis of this. Okay. So my memoir is called Putting My Heels Down, a memoir of having a dream and a day job. And I started writing it about 12 years ago. And it actually started, I was teaching Pilates and I was a professional dancer and choreographer. And I taught Pilates, but I really didn't want to be teaching Pilates. I really wanted to be performing. I had a vision of myself touring and performing on big stages. And yeah. I sort of got wrapped up. And I know you know well, like the gym scene, yeah. the personal training scene. And so in between clients, I would be writing in my appointment book, um, just little thoughts jotting down, mostly ranting about my clients. And, you know, I had a lot of uh, <laughs> Upper East Side, you know, what you would imagine, like a yeah, nanny yeah. diaries. That's what I thought I was doing, yeah. like a Pilates diaries. Yeah. Um, and then when I had a, a bunch of material written, um, some writing friends of mine had hooked me up with some uh, coaches, writing coaches and teachers that said, you know, why aren't you writing about your dancing life? Like, why are you only writing about, you know, ranting about teaching Pilates? And that really took me on what ended up being a more than decade long journey of writing about my experience as a dancer with big dreams and unfortunately the wrong body to uh, try and make it in New York. Okay, talk about that, the wrong body. What does that mean? So I, from a very young age, was told that I would never make it as a dancer. I did not have the right body. Now, what I did have always was I was always very skinny naturally. So when you look at me, I look like a sort of picturesque dancer, or I did. Um, and, but I had very, 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 and I still have very, very tight body, tight Achilles tendons. One of my teachers recommended I have my Achilles tendon replaced with a monkey tendon instead. So I would have more plie, <laughs> more bends. Oh my God. Uh, I was told uh, my hips really started hurting me when I was in college. I ended up having two hip surgeries. I'm due for another hip surgery. Um, I always had a lot of pain and tightness in my body. Yeah. So it never felt good to dance, to move. Hmm. Interesting. Does that, that the monkey tendon thing is, was that a real thing? Somebody said, I mean, they really meant yeah. that. Oh, I, I mean, read the book. You'll see the other things they said to me. There are some real zingers that my dance teachers, um, that my dance teachers told me. What kind um, of world is that though? Like in a sense, it seems like a very, um, I mean, clearly it's not been my world and I've seen some movies that doesn't make me know anything about it, but What's that environment like? It seems like it could be a high stress, very competitive uh, environment. Yeah, well, in dance, criticism is considered a compliment. Mm. 
So I always say I consider myself a star because I was getting a lot of criticism. <laughs> um, so <laughs> it's like, oh, they must really, really believe in me. Yeah. Um, so I think part of training and especially, you know, now I'm in my forties. So my early training was in the eighties. And I think now the training has really changed. We can't say the types of things now um, <laughs> that my teacher said to me and certainly what was sure. said to my teachers before me. Uh, but it is very high stress. Um, and it's hurtful. It is hurtful. Yeah, I would I would imagine so. What's the, you know, you talked about kind of the body element of it. Did you feel like there was experiences of promoting poor, um, like nutritional habits or, or practices to create the body that you needed? Yeah. So I think in the dance world, of course, you know, we are ridden with. Um, eating disorders and body dysmorphia. And I was very privileged not to have that part be a, an issue for me. I had other issues, um, but for sure, you know, we all smoked cigarettes and didn't mm -hmm. eat, you know, and did all those things. There were smoking yeah. lounges in our, you know, by our dance studios and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> crazy stuff. Big, I know. <laughs> um, so we were definitely, you know, I have friends, I was in, uh, situations where there were weigh-ins and people mm -hmm. cut because of their weight. And, you know, there is a lot of that for sure. And that is less prevalent now, or what's the current state of things that you know I think, about? You know, I think we're more educated now. Um, I think it's still a problem for sure. Um, and for women, I don't think it's as much of a problem for men and men mm -hmm. are usually the ones that are, uh, taking out these issues on women to be yeah. frank. Um, but we are much more educated now. So I think it is better now and hopefully it will continue to get better. How does that relate to the product of dance at this point? Like, is it that people are changing and they're like, oh, the product's still good or how we're seeing it? What do you think about that? As far as the product being like the, the body of the dancer, you know, the performance. Yeah. I think the more that we can look at dancers and maybe even performers in general as whole people mm. and not just instruments, not just bodies, it's only going to benefit their performance. You know, you look at one of the most famous ballerinas right now is Misty Copeland. And, you know, Misty would not be Misty without her story and her background and her experience that we all know and we're rooting for her. And she's a whole person to us. Yeah. Not just a body. Right. Is there maybe different body types that are more prevalent in dance now that you're seeing? Oh, yeah, for sure. So I grew up wanting to be a ballerina. Uh, but like I said, they told me I would not make it as a ballerina. So they encouraged me to explore modern dance. And I did become a modern dancer um, who did continue to take ballet class, but I performed um, and choreographed modern dance. And the body type for modern dance is certainly more open and has more of a range. Ballet? Hmm come see, come saw, I would say. Um, I think we're seeing, I think we're seeing more diversity, but we could see a lot more. Yeah. I mean, where, where do you think dance is headed in general? I mean, it seems like there's been some change, but where would you like to see it go? Um, I would like dance to be part of our everyday vernacular and experience. You know, dance is like the lowest art on the totem pole. And yeah. I don't know why, you know, I, well, there are a few reasons I do know what, why that could be. Um, but we all dance, we all inherently yeah. dance and we move. And because of whatever, you know, uh, whether it's religion or whether it's self-consciousness or whatever it is. Uh, so I would like to see everybody dancing. That's what I'd like to see. Yeah, I love dancing. It's awesome. Yeah. You think yeah. it like, I just, it just kind of came to me. I think like being in health and wellness, health and wellness, dance, kind of artistic things are often pushed down below what society deems as important things. And I wonder if part of that is because we're like, well, I can run, I can dance. These are things I just do recreationally. So maybe there's, maybe, I don't know, is there like a thing to that that like, well, you do it anyways, while we give this a big emphasis to it, you know? Yeah, I think maybe that that could be true for sure. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting, you know, in the schools that I've, I've done a lot of teaching in uh, public schools in New York City, mm -hmm. and I used to work for an organization that sort of would get called in as like a last resort, we're going to, the school is, you know, going to close down okay. or whatever's happening, they're not doing well. Oh, let's call the arts in now, let's call you know, arts and, in. If, yeah. and if the arts were there to begin with, I would argue maybe, you know, the level of uh, how the school was, was performing would be higher. 
I think we're, we're failing a lot of artistic people coming up in high school and stuff. And like, we're just failing them because we're making them, we're making them do math all the time. And we're making them be so super into like tech-based things. When so I always say this, artists are some of the best parts of living. Just the, the creation of something that is artistic is, is so important to the human story. But it's some, for some reason, we're like, you need to be in tech. You need to know math. You need like, I, it's crazy to me, you know? Yeah, it's like STEM, STEM, STEM. STEM, STEM and yeah. I keep saying it's STEAM. Some places <laughs> call it STEAM. They do yeah. add the A in for the arts. Like it's yeah. STEAM. Yeah. You know, like, we, why we, don't we I, I, I think that we don't, well, first of all, we have a system that's set up that if you do become an artist, your life is hard. You're not going to make money. Your life is difficult. Um, and our government doesn't provide for artists in the way that in Europe, the government does. Right. Um, so right away, there's a level of success that we know we're not going to meet most likely as artists. So that's not going to be promoted in an educational setting, you know, where it's about capitalism and, you know, su succeeding. Sure. Yeah, most definitely. So when you're writing this book, take me through the journey of, of writing the book. Like, what was the process like for you? So the process, so, you know, I do come from a very hardcore dance training. So I took that same dance training and put it to my writing. I got up at five in the morning. I would write, go teach my Pilates clients, go to ballet class, rehearsal, blah, blah, blah. And in between be writing. But I did wake up every morning and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I revised and I revised. And when I finally realized I had enough to make a book, um, I started querying agents and I did have friends that were writers that were giving mm -hmm. me some direction. And so again, I took my dance training mentality to querying and I queried over 150 agents and I got little bites here and there. And um, then I finally got a big bite and uh, the big bite happened a week after I gave birth to my daughter, my first child. And so then all of a sudden things started happening quickly. And I got an agent and this is now um, 10 years ago, I got an agent and the book wasn't selling to publishers at that point because I didn't have a platform yeah. and they wanted you to have a platform. So <sighs> I know. So I, <laughs> so I put the, kept the book in my computer, but I kept um, like entering contests, which I would win. Yeah. I won finalists in a couple of contests. Like I kind of just kept it going. I had another child, you know, I just kind of kept it. And then uh, I finally met up with the publisher that I have now directly who fell in love with my project. I fell in love with the small press, Motina Books. And that's the, that's the short, long story of the journey of the book. <laughs> it's so funny. The publication like, of it. Yeah, right. It's like, I didn't have a platform. Like, isn't that the story of like society? It's like, you have to have this or that. It's like, we're marginalizing people based off. It's like, well, if you don't give me this X return, it's really not worth my time. It's like, sometimes I just have a problem with that. I don't know. It's like, I, and I get it. I, I totally get it. But it's like, there's got to be space for other stuff too. It can't be a one-way street, you know? It's, it's worse and worse. You know, it's all about how many followers you have yeah. and how many this and that. And it's, you know, and when my book wasn't selling to publishers, my agent had the idea for me to start Lazy Girl Pilates to build my platform. And Lazy Girl yeah. Pilates was kind of the work that I was already doing, bringing Pilates into like everyday life yeah. and keeping it funny and light, like doing it in bed, on the toilet, in the shower, like you know, all these things. <laughs> Pilates <laughs> so on the like, toilet, y'all. <laughs> I do. I have it. Get, I, Lazy Girl Pilates morning available on Amazon. <laughs> you can get your toilet workouts. Um, <laughs> So, uh, but you know, that was the idea, like, oh, we could take this thing and build a platform. And then of course, you know, life happened. My life dramatically took a, cha a change of course, which, um, you know, my husband was diagnosed yes. with cancer. So then all of a sudden everything was, you know, on the back burner. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, uh, it's so difficult. I mean, I know we've been conversing for everybody listening and then who will listen. It's like, uh, no one care for a little bit, you know, I've, I've been privy to some of the stuff that's been happening uh to her and uh, certainly wish your husband uh well and that things go well in this um you know it's it's a, always a difficult thing but you've been so amazing through it you're you're very good at being present and 
getting back to people is a big pet peeve of mine. I don't like when people don't. Oh, get me back too. To no, I no, really no. don't like it. <laughs> like, no, there's no excuse for it either. I really don't think there's an excuse for it. No, know? I no, that is I agree. That is my pet peeve. Also, be on time and get back to people. And you know, even if you get back to people and say, I I, I got this, I'll get to it. Just know that I looked at it. You know. Yeah. Most definitely. Most definitely. Yeah. And um. Let's jump into the Pilates world. I'm curious. I, yeah. I, I've hired a lot of Pilates people in my life when I was running clubs and stuff. And uh, it's a curious bunch of people, I'll put it that way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Instructors and participants. Totally. <laughs> like, totally. Saying in a very interesting way, a curious. Yes, what's curious. Been your experience That's a nice with word. It? Yeah, you know, it's it's a curious group of so what's been your experience? Let's go high level. What's kind of the culture of Pilates in your mind? Am I going highbrow? So I'll go highbrow and then I'll bring it to lowbrow where I usually hang out. Um so (laughs) (laughs) in an elevated way, you know, Pilates attracts a very type A woman. Um Pilates is highly structured, it's a series of a certain amount of exercises. Um so you tend to get the type A um who want to come in to get a flat stomach and get a strong core and they saw celebrities you know that that's that's right am i right yeah yeah it's all right (laughs) um and you're generally getting like probably pretty in shape like people that are attracted to pilates already Mm -hmm. i think people that are not into exercising probably think pilates is like way out of their you know (laughs) comfort zone um so that i would say Uh, is the high end of yeah pilates people and in my book actually my first chapter i describe the client that I call the HB and that's the heavy breather and heavy breather. so I'm sure you know like in Pilates the first exercise that you do is called the hundred and you pump yes. your arms up and down mm-hmm. and you inhale for five and exhale for five so there are people so you're supposed to breathe like full breaths for five in five out there are certain people and this is the type a people that heard this they thought they heard this from an instructor that do a breath where we go <laughs> And they're breathing like this and, yep. you know, they're coming in with designer mats and designer outfits and they're, you're, they're ruling mm. you rather telling me to <laughs> bring them a mat, move this over, get bring me this, this do me. this. That's the HB. So yeah. I had a lot of experience with HBs in New York. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, unfortunately they would pay well, I would end up being their private instructor. So sure, I had to kind of sure. suck up to them a little bit, but yeah. that's, that's the typical. <laughs> I mean, I would say like, that's very similar for, uh, for what I've experienced and hiring Pilates instructors and being part of those classes on a high level, for sure. It's definitely, it's a different world. You know, it's funny how we have these different environments, these almost silo environments for health and wellness, you know? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I, most, I would say a majority of Pilates instructors are former dancers. Yes. So you do get, and dancers are, you know, we're pretty strict and, you know, we're, yeah. we're serious about what we're doing. And I think right. Pilates instructors take themselves very, very seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that I was able to really succeed in my own Pilates instructor journey because I never took it seriously. I failed my first exam. I had a margarita hangover. I didn't give <laughs> a shit about Pilates. <laughs> oh, I love that. You know, I just need to make money and I, I yeah. need to make money to support my dancing. And so Pilates was the way to go at that point. And this is in 2000, right at the sort of peak of when Pilates started to get like, yes. you know, exciting for people. Yeah. It's kind of like um, Pilates and yoga kind of started making this comeback all at the same time. It's like, cause I had run clubs for like well over a decade. I was like, oh, this is dead. And then it was like, we're back. Oh, yeah. Pilates and yoga, like, boom, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, then there's all the spinoffs and yeah. then you have, you know, all these spinoffs of these things, but yeah. Uh, so did you, did you enjoy working with the uh, Pilates instructors? Do I ask? How does my face look when you see <laughs> <laughs> You know what? So, you, you know, it's funny because I, you're, I, I hope you don't get mad at me for saying this, but I say in my book, I call like you were, you were running, like you were in yeah, charge of all these different. Right. So I would call you the PIMP, you're my Pilates pimp and you would pimp me out <laughs> to different places. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah. So I had a lot of different, and I have like Pilates pimps that were from a gym and from yoga studios yeah. and the personalities of those, you know, you understand this world, um, this culture and what people are like. 
It's a big, you know, for me, like I actually had a very, a lot of positive experiences, Pilates instructors. Uh, some of them are pretty like over the top, um, but um, overall was good. But I knew it was like something that we needed, especially I was, was running like country club environments, private residential yeah. things and very wealthy people. And, uh, you know, the Pilates reformer, very popular, yeah. mm-hmm. the Cadillac reformer. We had all that stuff. And uh, it was always full. We, I mean, we had private lessons constantly going on. We made a lot of money in private Pilates uh, lessons. So it was good, but it was, it was interesting. I, uh, it was great when I would have a personal trainer who was also a Pilates instructor. And I pushed that because I wanted my staff to make money and support themselves. So a lot of them, they really weren't into Pilates, but they knew that our clientele was. So yeah. they, they were not dancers. They were definitely not <laughs> dancers. They were, they're like, I don't really care about that. I, I got to find something else that's also going to supplement what I'm doing, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's a strong relationship that you form with strong. Pilates. Um, you know, in classical Pilates, which I was uh, trained in, you're not allowed to do the exercises yourself right? because you're, right. everything has to be about the client. So the client is like, oh, she really sees, you know, she, they really <laughs> feel seen and, and yeah, you're supposed to like do things for them to make them feel, yeah. you know, give them, you know, there's this dynamic that goes on. Um, and they, and so you can develop a very strong following and make a lot of money. Um, and also in the best ways, and I know I'm saying not so great things about Pilates, but in the best ways, like I've been able to meet amazing people, um, as my Pilates clients that I consider friends and that we have a close, genuine, you know, relationship. What's the Pilates scene like in New York city as it currently (sighs) stands? I mean, I, I haven't experienced it there, but I've experienced it in a lot of other places, you know? Well, I think, you know, in 2000, when I was certified, that was right when um, uh, Sean Gallagher had lost. So Pilates was trademarked. And in 2000, he lost, they lost the trademark. Mm. So then anyone could teach Pilates. And that was when the boom happened. Yeah. Um, And that was when I happened to get certified. So I think, and yoga too is not trademarked. So you can, anyone can teach yoga, you you know. Uh, so I think because of that, you have all these bar and spinoff and this and that. So I think it's, you know, the scene is about now, you know, 20 years later is a hybrid always combined with something else or we're pure, 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 pure. Right. Yeah. There's just a lot of, man, we had bar, we had everything. And it was like getting comical though, because it's like, how many different versions of yoga can we have? And then we'd like, and then we'd have people like, let's do like the laughing yoga and stuff. I'm like, I got to draw a line here, man. Like, like, (laughs) I mean, you know, I don't know. It's getting weird. Yeah, you know, well, it's that's, already I mean, kind of weird. <laughs> that's the the gym that I mostly worked for was about entertainment fitness, and yeah, so okay. we were there as instructors to entertain. So their classes, I taught. I would come to work one day, and be like, "Okay, your class is now hot Pilates. We have to heat your room." Like, what? Yeah. yeah. Why are we heating my room? Like, that's not Pilates. And plus, it, it was it was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, or or they'd add a prop that didn't necessarily belong, or like yeah. you know, whatever it is. Yeah. The whole. Um hot Pilates, hot yoga phase was super heavy in Las Vegas when I was there for a certain period. I'm not sure how it is now, actually, but it was like becoming a little much. (laughs) You know what it is, is when something starts out as one thing and then it develops almost a cult like feeling. That's when I started to get really worried about stuff, you know? And that's what's so much coming out now. I mean, you go on Netflix or anything, all you see are series about, you know, these yoga the cult exactly what you're saying these cults, the cults. and these you know yeah. yoga ma- gurus you know that were squandering money and having affairs you know all this stuff <laughs> you <laughs> must have so seen perfect. the same one i saw about that one dude who was uh the the yoga guy what's the what's the, the uh hot hot yoga the guy the uh, the bikram guy bikram, yeah i know yeah, i haven't that is seen a sleazy it dude, and I man. yeah oh yeah he's driving around in his fancy cars and yeah like that whole documentary i was like oh my gosh this guy's such a pervert i was like <laughs> like you know i kind of this whole kind of you see that in pilates yoga and different things even to extent like super high intense exercise gurus or mind body gurus you know i think at some you have to be very careful about getting to something where there's like a charismatic leader of a movement exactly you know anything well that's what i think like people don't realize about um 
about Joe Pilates is that Joe Pilates was like a really cool dude. He smoked cigars. Yeah. He drank whiskey. I didn't realize it. Sorry, I'm just going to close this oh, really sorry. quick because that I look like I'm incarcerated. Um, <laughs> I'm not incarcerated. Okay. Uh, it's not happening. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, so Joe Pilates was like, he was about exercise being a part of your daily life. Like yeah. the reformer, the Cadillac, these, he wanted to be household furniture, you yeah. know? So I don't know what he would think of where Pilates is now. Mm. Um, but he was, he was cool. He wasn't, he didn't, he wasn't like, you know, he was strict in his teaching, Yeah. but he was a real person. Yeah. And I think that's what I'm always very, I'm really tied into that because when I was running clubs and now owning my own businesses and fitness, I'm like, I'm very careful about the people that I kind of connect with. I'm like, is this person like overzealous about this in a way that seems hysterical? Uh, it's this charismatic leader, cultish feeling, because those things, they're not good for you. I mean, they're just not. It promotes a one-way street. And especially in, yeah, and in, in wellness and certainly in like a gym or studio setting, you know, when we go in there as uh customers as clients and we're wearing you know tight clothing but we're already coming in vulnerable right and we listen to whatever's being told to us by our teachers or our instructors and you know we have to be aware of that and you know to lighten it up I I always tell the story that like I once said during a Pilates mat class I had like 40 people in the class it was a huge class and I said rectal abdominals rather than rectus and no one said anything yeah I'm like I just said rectal abdominals like (laughs) like someone call me out on that I'm not talking about your butt like what what you know and and no one called me out because anything that I said was just taken at its word yeah Um, right and it's 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 dangerous I I want like health and wellness I've always been a big stickler for this like I like being around people and colleagues who are just like really normal people like they're not super super into it like crazy obsessed with exercise and I understand like I was a collegiate athlete I exercise hard but it's like it's not my life man you know it's like and I think it'd be you got to be careful about crossing the line between like loving something and it becoming a weird obsession and and sometimes like when I would run clubs tennis is like this I'm telling you tennis is such a cult in country clubs. It's like crazy. The tennis pro is like the guru. <laughs> it's like, and the, and the teams and the outfits, it's like, it's so crazy. I didn't know this world until I got into it, you know? Mm, maybe, maybe I have to start teaching uh, tennis. I don't I'm know. I'm <laughs> telling you, if you have, you're like a decent tennis instructor, you will have those clients for life, for life. Wow. Because there's so, you can do round robins, you can do individual lessons, team lessons you know, a uh, pickup game, like there's so much stuff you can do and people will pay it. Then you get them on a USTA tennis league team. Everybody gets outfits, uniforms. It becomes a whole seasonal thing too. It's like, it's a huge obsession in country clubs, massive money generation, but it has always that same feel, this obsession uh, with it. People become fanatical about mm-hmm. it. And I saw that with Pilates and yoga a lot mm-hmm. too, uh, when I was running clubs. Yeah, that's, I mean, that was really my, my mission with, with lazy girl Pilates and with my clients in general, because I do still teach Pilates is that clients should be able to do everything that we're doing together on their own. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they're not going to have me there looking at every little detail. Um, but they should be, we should be teaching people how to bring exercise into their life and not that it can only happen in this space, in this country club, in this spot, this, you know, that, and that's when people stick with it. Yeah. Otherwise it becomes a phase. You know, when I get clients are like, I'm going to do three days a week privates. Yeah. I know you're not going to st- stick with it. No one's <laughs> going to stick with three times a week privates at like $175 a session right. or whatever no. I'm going to charge no. you. Yeah. No, no, that's going to, you're going to, maybe I give you like three months tops. <laughs> and then we start the, filtering down. I love the honesty. Like sometimes people approach me to be like, I want to exercise five times a week. I'm like, absolutely not. No, they're like, you don't want to do it. I'm like, you won't do it. I'm like, right. I don't want to do that. I'm like, we're setting yourself up for failure. Like we got to be reasonable about this, you know, but you always see it coming. It's like, it's great. You're excited, but let's, let's be reasonable about what we're doing here. You know? Right. Cause we want to have clients. We want to have as you know, the instructors and teachers want to have clients that stay with us for a long time. Exactly. We don't want to have 
Yeah. I call them, the, I call them in, in my book, I talk about the one night stands, like the clients <laughs> that I would see once. And then I would, you know, check in with them. How are you feeling? How'd you like the session? You know, are you ready to book another one? It's the one night stand. You never see them again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hit it and quit it, baby. Exactly. <laughs> I've experienced those. I mean, if you're in health and wellness and you're, you know, you're working in a, essentially a commission-based business, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you have to work to make money. And when mm-hmm. it's, it, it's hard to get people like that because it's like, Hey, do you realize like, this is how I work, you know, type of right. thing. Exactly. You're you know, trying to it, shield them, you know? I'll tell you my favorite kind of client. And I don't know if you ever had this one. This might be like a very New York thing. Um, I ended up calling her ATM because I would show up to her apartment for 7 a.m. sessions. Now I lived in the East Village on 14th Street. Mm. She lived up in the 80s. And so I would have, you know, get up early. It's, sure. you know, leave my house at like 625 to go and get to her on time. And the doorman would let me in. He wouldn't buzz her. I'd get up and then she just hand me cash. Instead of, she didn't want to work out. Yeah, <laughs> just had cash. Yeah. ATM. So I called yeah. her the ATM machine. I would just have to get up yeah. in the morning and go up to the ATM machine. Yeah, I've, I've definitely had that to some level. I kind of have that still on a few things, but you know, it's <laughs> at like, some hey, levels, it's not so bad. You know, Christmas you know, Hanukkah's coming. Like you know, yeah, it's a way to yeah. get your cash, but yeah, not ideal. Not ideal. No, it's but uh, it's it's a different world to be in and, and living in that world where you're. Um, you're working on a regular basis with people's body, but mm-hmm. a lot of what it is, is people's mind. Mm-hmm. And all, I'm sure you experience the clients. They tell you a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. they tell you like a lot of stuff you may not want to hear. Also. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, in my, in my memoir, uh, in, in my teaching life, you know, I was going through so much in my own body. Um, I had, I was going through two hip surgeries and I was in pain all the time running around to these clients that I have to pretend that I'm their peppy six pack, perfect Pilates instructor. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, I'm dying. Like I, and yeah. I'm smoking cigarettes when I leave, like I'm not what they think that I am. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, not anymore, but, uh, yeah. So it was, it was really hard to listen to people complain about their bodies and complain about their lives when I was going through my own thing and it didn't matter to them. And, um, it it became, and it, it made, turned me into a not very nice, Mm. say it kindly person. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever been in a situation where like you were out and clients saw you participating in something that, that they thought you wouldn't be doing? Oh my you know, God. Like, yeah. You're like, oh no. Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, okay. So I talk about this in my book. Um, I would go out to clubs like in my twenties and mm-hmm. be like drinking and smoking and yeah. doing things. And they would say like, that's my Pilates instructor. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I actually met my husband in a Pilates class wow. and yeah, the, the like two that he ever took. Uh, <laughs> <and laughs> so, um, you know, he asked me out and took me out and he did not expect, so I was in my early twenties at that time. And he had no idea that I was coming out. Like I was, I was drinking like twice the amount that he was. And so yeah. he was like in awe and couldn't believe <laughs> it. But I was like, you know, I had to put it out there right away that I was yeah. not this guru, guru like we're yeah. saying. Yeah. Uh, have, have you ever gotten gotten caught by uh oh yeah and i never care (laughs) i never care even even now i really don't care i just i'm like they like it they love it i'm telling you i was at some big party in this mansion thing and they had a huge like chocolate fountain i was tearing that thing apart man (laughs) and all these people i can't believe you're doing that like you're a fitness professional like what does that have to do with this i'm like i'm not like i'm at a chocolate fountain all the time like I never do this. I'm definitely going to do it here. <laughs> like, yeah. I think and people it's... like flawed people. Like if you present yourself as this holier than now, like you do everything perfect. You're eating all this stuff. I just think it's a fraud. It's fraudulent to me. Health and wellness people who present that all the time. I don't believe it. I honestly, and if, and even if they do, I don't think they're having any fun. Honestly, no, no, they're, they're having, having zero fun. fun. And I don't, I want to have fun, you know? Yeah, me too. I, you know, when I got certified in Pilates, um, I will use your word curious. It was a curious group of, uh, mm-hmm. of people getting okay. certified and I, you know, they were off to the whole food buffet and I was, you know, getting pizza and drinking Coke and, and, and I was sort of mortified by it, but then I realized like, that's what makes me different. Yes. Like that's what makes me different. Yeah. And that's, and that eventually may be the instructor that people would want to take classes with because, yep. you know, there was that, it wasn't, 
I wasn't feeding them this, like, they didn't want to be, who wants to have a whole food? I mean, okay, once in a while you can have a whole foods buffet, like fantastic, but. Yeah, we don't do that all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And I think as dancers too, you know, there's always this perception for me as a dancer, because I'm always really small, that I ate really well. And I was, became a vegetarian at a really young age. And everyone thought that I ate so well. And you can find candy wrappers in my backpack, you know, (laughs) (laughs) it was not (laughs) what people thought. I mean, I just think you should present the reality of the situation. You know, it's like everybody, that's why I was, I, I, that's kind of where my struggle is with like the internet. And like we were saying, I'm pretty transparent on it. It's just like before they were like, oh, Dr. D, I, you know, I want to tag you on Instagram. I was like, I got off. I was like, I just, me personally, I couldn't handle it. It just seems so synthetic. You know, it's like for me, I know a lot of people get a lot of joy and a lot of good stuff out of Instagram or other things. For me, I've always been fighting it. Like every time I get on one of these things, I immediately want to get off, like immediately. And, and I'm like, I need to follow this feeling because I don't identify with any of these fitness professionals on here. This constant posting, this, this happy life all the time, living at the gym, I'm like, why? Like, I don't understand that. It doesn't even make sense physiologically. I mean, it's like- no, no, no. And there's a shelf life to it, right? There's a shelf life, How long is this going to last like this? Yeah. Um, And I think going back to, you know, earlier in our conversation, talking about having followers and having this platform, you know, they're these fitness professionals that have humongous platforms. And, you know, so what? I know it doesn't really mean anything. Like I have no, everybody, I have no platform on any of these things. Like (laughs) zero people following me, nothing, but- I have a 21 year, very highly successful fitness and wellness career without any of that stuff. You can do it without that. Just so you know. Like, and by the way, you're actually busy with that. I am. How can in you the do time, this? Well, that's the thing. How are you spending, you know, how are you spending all this time showing us your planks and your this and your yeah. shakes and whatever you're doing? Um, you know, when are you actually doing it? I'm working. Like, how can you right. do this? You're too busy. <laughs> like, you have more sessions, seven, eight sessions in a row. I'm working. Like, how does this, I don't get it. Like, and maybe they're working in a different way. And obviously maybe they're making money sponsorships and all that stuff. I don't know. Like you said, I think it's a shelf life for me. I've got 21 years in, I've built a really good life. I just, I want to be authentic. Like maybe some people that is, but often it's not authentic. It's very fabricated. It's not the real person. You know, it's like, I, you know, it's like if I see a Pilates person or a yoga person doing like a handstand in like front of the Eiffel Tower or something, I'm like, this seems so fake to me. You know what I mean? It's like, why? So people can say, guess where I was? (laughs) Guess what I did when I was there. I did a handstand. Why are you doing a handstand in front of the Louvre? I just think you're a loser. (laughs) Like, why are you doing that? Like you want, you just want attention. You're seeking attention. I go to a place like that. I don't want anybody to know me. I just want to go in and enjoy. You want to experience. I just want to experience. I don't care. Like I, what I don't know. It just feels fabricated to me. And instructors, and that was my thing with instructors. Like when I would hire Pilates instructors, I was looking for that. Is this person like trying to use this as a platform for something like, or do you actually care about the residents we're working with here? You know, like do you really practice this? You know, I'm, I'm so curious of what our dynamic you and I would have been back in the day. Oh, man. I'm telling <laughs> I don't, you, you would have even loved me or hated me. I don't know. I just think <laughs> I, I loved Pilates instructors who were like very flawed, like they're a little messy. And like, I like all of my, everybody that I've ever employed when I was doing, like, I wanted them to have like something was kind of messy about them. And like, mm. like, Oh man, that's not that great, but it wasn't like too bad. But it was like, right. you don't want too messy. You, you don't, don't want, want too messy because that's just a train wreck. <laughs> but it was kind of like they were part of the Pilates community, but they didn't take it super serious. Yeah. I was like, okay, like we could hang out actually. We can do this. Yeah. We could hang yeah. out. Like I didn't want to like hire somebody who's like all they breathed was Pilates. I was like, eh. <laughs> like, you have to breathe a little more. Yeah. <laughs> and then I just, you know, it's, and some of my favorite people I still are in touch with that I hired many years ago. And I just feel like they're just like, yeah, I went out and stayed out all night at a club, you know, like recently I'm like, I just, I love you. (laughs) (laughs) Jealous. I know. Like, don't, don't ever stop having fun, man. Like, and don't think that you're like, 
take yourself so seriously. Like you have, like you're the best Pilates. It's great you have confidence, but like, honestly, I mean, you are teaching Pilates. <laughs> I mean, you are right. training somebody. It's not like you're, you're doing a good thing, but uh, I mean, you're not blasting people into space and colonizing a planet. I mean, it's like, <laughs> I mean, you know, you're not splitting the atom here. You're, you're, you're creating a great social environment with some movement and exercise. And that's so important, but like, let's not get too serious about it here. <laughs> like, yeah. I, you know, I think I was just thinking like, you know, it's one of those things like, you know, I teach Pilates, but what I really teach is, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you have to have the blah, blah, blah. Like I teach yeah. Pilates, but what I really teach people is to be comfortable in their bodies, have a good yeah. time while they're moving their bodies. Like that's yeah. what it is. And Pilates can be the vehicle for that. Modern dance can be the vehicle for that. I yeah. teach little kids. It could be the, you know, that's, so it's yeah. like, what are you really doing? What do you think about those dance shows that are on TV and stuff? I don't watch them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't watch them. <laughs> I don't, you know, I just, I don't like the idea of dance. Okay. I think the positive is, I think it's great anytime that people are experiencing dance. So it's getting okay. people excited okay. to watch dance. And that's fantastic. Dance as a competition, I don't love. Mm. Um, and that's, that changed in the 90s when like these dance competitions started to get big. You know, I went to a small dance school that was very classical and um, took itself very seriously. It would never do a dance competition ever. Yeah. Um, but then these competitions became a way to generate income for these studios and the studios needed it. And so there, there is an important financial aspect to it. Um, but I don't love the idea and I don't enjoy watching people compete yeah. by dancing. What, what is it about it that you don't enjoy? <clears throat> I think that there's a craft that and people's voices, I, I just don't see them coming through in the two, yeah. 20 second thing that we get to see of them. Um, but you know, at the same, like, so you think you can dance? I don't even know if that's on anymore. Like a lot of people were able to really jump to the next part of their career doing uh -huh. these shows, which is good. Um, I just, I don't like watching 20 seconds of like big bam boom, because there's a lot that goes on in between big bam boom. And as yeah. a choreographer, I'm more interested in how did you get to bing and bang and what's, what's the in-between. Yeah. Yeah. I like, you like the, you know, I think you, you like the process of it. Like all, I like stuff. the process and I like the nuance and there's yeah, just, that doesn't exist in the, you know, these, like how high can your leg go and spin around and, you know, this yeah. stuff. Was it, do you feel like it's, it's just not realistic for how dance is actually taught and how it is like the behind? I think a lot of dancers are taught to do that, that they're taught to do tricks. Oh, um, okay. And it's absence of an artistry. Hmm. Um, so I think that people are taught that way. I think in the shows where like things are condensed and they have to learn like a dance with the yeah. stars, they have to like learn a short dance, you know, um, there's a time limit to their education on what yeah. they're doing. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that that's the, you know, there's a, there's a mastery as far as the dancing with the stars thing that like they can't get to because they're learning in such a short period sure, of time. Sure. That's interesting. It makes me think about like, I don't know if you ever watched the biggest loser back in the day yeah, I, when it started. Yeah. Yeah, I did too. And, uh, I watched the first like season or two and then I was like, this is wrong. <laughs> I remember thinking it like, this is so wrong. This is like a, this is a black eye on fitness. It really is. It just goes against everything that actually happens in good training sessions for that. And so I, I stopped watching because I was like, it just bothered me so much. You know, this massive weight loss and, and behind the scenes, everybody was like gaining the weight back when they were done sure. and stuff. And you, you know, who's going to work out eight hours a day? I mean, that's what they're doing. Supervised dietary habits like this is not the real life the tv is always a vehicle for what's not real all the time and i think that's what social media has become to a vehicle for what's not real all the time and i think it's it's kind of like the matrix you got to open your eyes what's the reality of life actually these are not this is not it it's not it you know well, I, and, and everything that you're describing, it's like, we're all looking for a connection, right? Like in The Biggest Loser, we really connected to these people sure. who, you know, we felt their struggle and it was yeah. amazing to watch them, you know, achieve these dreams. Yeah. And in the same way of any type of competitive show or really anything going on social media, we're looking for connection. Yeah. And 
I think it's that word that I just want to say again, it's that nuance of the connection that yeah. we're missing. Yeah. We're, we're, it's a kind of like, even like dating shows and stuff. There's, there's no new, there's no nuance to it. It's like, okay, if somebody's filming you all the time, dating somebody, it's not the actual reality of dating somebody when nobody's actually watching you <laughs> and you're, and they're actors anyway. I mean, yeah. Actors anyway. You just, it's like, <laughs> okay this is it's entertaining i get the entertainment value but it's kind of like don't mistake that for real life connection with somebody like there's no cameras generally when you're just meeting somebody you know i mean that would be weird if people are just filming you all the time normally (laughs) i'm filming all my dates (laughs) like like, what there's probably someone doing that yeah, and they're like trying to create a platform out of it. Right, exactly. You, There's their platform. Everybody's trying to create a platform out of something. But, you know, then I wonder, and I, you know, I'm someone that like, you know, I have a book coming out in April. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get the word out about my mm-hmm. book, right? I'm trying to, meet, I'm yes. trying to introduce myself and meet readers in a genuine way. How yeah. do I reach these readers? How do I do this without, you know, <laughs> I don't post pictures of myself in poses, places, or doing, you know. <laughs> Thanks. You mean you're um, not at the Statue of Liberty doing like a plank or something? I mean, like, no, those days are over. Those days are over. <laughs> if they ever were. They're like, that was, um, that's not happening. No. Um, no, that, but you know, I, I, it's hard when you are trying to genuinely make connections with people and you are trying to build a following of sorts or an audience, we can say. Yeah. You know, how do you do that in a genuine way? in a genuine way. That's the dilemma with all creators and artists on social media. Everybody's a creator on social media. How do you do this and gain a following per se to get people to listen? But then it's kind of like, I've talked to so many people about this, like they're not in love with doing everything they're doing online. They're like, but they're like, but I have to do it in order to it. And I'm like trying to challenge that. Like I'm, I'm like always trying to challenge that there's other ways to get things done. Like my podcast, for example, I mean, it's actually been more successful when I'm not on other social media sites. And I think it's just because like, I'm not, it just feels more authentic when I've made it a smaller thing. For some reason, it's bigger when I've made it smaller. And when I try to make it bigger, it gets smaller. I know this is something, but I also talk about it a lot of like, hey, I got to be willing to accept the consequences of not being on these platforms. I just have to have to accept it. Whatever that means, I'm willing to to have that be okay. But but I understand that's hard, you know. um, At the end of the day, it's word of mouth, whether it's the word of mouth from Instagram, or it could be your mom in temple or church telling the whole, right. you know, the whole congregation. And hey, my daughter wrote a book, you should read it. Some you people's know? moms are great marketers, man. My mom is the number one mom. When really? you hear this, you're going to be, oh, she's number one. She got me my first New York times review when I was 21 years old. Uh-huh. Wow. Shelly Tatabom. I'm giving you a wow. shout out. Big mm-hmm. shout out to Shelly. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, and I always find like, if you meet the right people, certain people are like jet fuel. Like mm-hmm. they just like blast your stuff to everywhere, you know, and I'm more invested into that almost process. You know, it's like I was uh, telling you, like I have this new social networking platform that I have them and like we don't advertise it at all on social media. It's all one by one word of mouth. Now we're aware that means it's going to be very slow to grow. But I there's something about that nuance, that process of doing something slowly and getting excited when somebody actually joins, it's like, that was because we really worked hard at that. Mm-hmm. Like we, we didn't, we just, we didn't blast it everywhere. We kept it very targeted to people we thought would be really into it, you know? And there's something about that. I think the athlete in me from being a collegiate athlete, most of what you do in life when you're an athlete is not seen. It's not seen. You're just grinding. I was a track athlete. You're going around mm-hmm. that track every single day, round and round and round, and nobody cares, except for you and the people there. There's no lights, there's no cameras, it's just, and that's the monotony that I think you have to kind of fall in love with a little bit, you know? 
Yeah, that's the grind. I mean, that's what when people, you know, people, I can't believe you wrote a book. I can't believe you did this. Yeah. This is how I did it. It's that grind. You didn't see all the other stuff. You're just seeing it's happening it. now. But you don't see what happened the last 10 yeah. years. You weren't there waking up in the morning with me and you weren't there for all the rejections and all the issues, you know, yeah. but the, the grind of it. And I think from, uh, as a dancer, as an athlete, you know, we definitely, uh, we get that. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great lesson, you know? And so just doing something like, look, you're on this podcast. Like if you go on a bunch of podcasts, you actually give the time 45 minutes, an hour, 30, whatever you do it over, over again. There's something beautiful about that. And obviously you could share that with other people, but like you get a double-edged, you get a double thing about it. You get to actually meet someone mm-hmm. and spend time with them versus just blasting something out and go, oh, I hope a bunch of people look at this. I don't know. Right. You know, that you don't even know really probably, you know. Right. <laughs> but like we start knowing anyway. each other. We start building something with each other. We've had conversations offline. We've had email conversation. You start building this wall of connection. Mm-hmm. And I think we sometimes lose that because we just want, let's just get it out there. Let's just get it out there. You know? Sure. I mean, I think that's so true. And again, I think that goes back to the, the dance show thing um, is this immediacy, mm. you know, the immediacy that like, Oh, all of a sudden you can perform something that you learned five <laughs> minutes ago. Like, okay. You know, that took years, decades yeah. for the rest of us professionals to do, but okay. Yeah. You can do that in five minutes. Um, and the immediacy to get stuff out online, the immediacy to get, uh, whatever you have made, made. Um, and in dance, there is an immediacy that's different than other art forms, um, because it can only exist in time and space. Right. And then Mm. it doesn't exist anymore. Um, so there, there's, it's sort of, you know, it's a flip, uh, but I think we do get caught up in this need needing to produce something quickly yeah. and then show it to the world. <laughs> That's an interesting way of putting that. Yeah. It's, and this, you know, we've been told like document, just have the camera on at all times, you know, document your life. It's just something uncomfortable for me about that. Now, I have nothing to hide. It's just like, I need stuff for just me. You know, like yeah. you everybody know, doesn't yeah. need a, a picked a window into my life all the time, you know? On the flip side, though, I have to say, like, right before I, we started talking on the podcast, I'm making these series of reels for Instagram about yeah. things my dance teachers used to tell me. Mm-hmm. And I'm, like, cracking my shit up doing it. I'm, like, yeah. enjoying doing it. <laughs> and it's funny to me to just, like, do something quickly like that without yeah. being so type A detailed about yeah. it. So there is a freedom in that as well as a danger in that, you know, freedom. Yeah, yeah. I just, I don't like all this stuff. I don't know how, I'm into sustainable things. Like I'm into doing stuff I know I can sustain. Like I started a podcast, I knew I could sustain it because I know what it's like to create a schedule and do something and, you know, book people and all that stuff. But for some people, a podcast is not sustainable because of too much work, the editing and stuff like that. Like I want people to really think about is what you're doing sustainable? Mm -hmm. Can you really keep doing this? Is this, will this be around like next year or no, you know? And like, are you okay with that? You know, yeah, are, are you okay, okay with, with doing something that's not, you know, that's yeah. a, I, I'm a coach also wellness and resilience coach. And that's something that like would be questioned to ask clients, like, yeah. are you okay with, you know, the fact that this is not, this may not be sustainable. Right. And are you presenting yourself in this whole thing? Like you're putting all this footage out. You know, if you're 22 years old and you're putting all this footage out at 42, you're going to be a pretty different person. Oh, are you proud you so of happy that? we didn't have this when we were oh younger? My gosh. I mean, really? No, no. <laughs> I would have done so many stupid things. Terrible. I'm telling yeah. you so many stupid things. You're, you're not that intelligent when you're like 22. No. And, and, uh, and with kids, I mean, I know you and I both have kids, like, yeah. you know, just their so whole social media practice is just, yeah. it, I, I can't. I can't even fathom what that would have looked like no. and felt like. I mean, I remember things like when I was like 25, I was like, I was not that intelligent. I was like, what was no I doing? No one needs to hear what I'm saying. Like, well, this is not good. Like, what was I doing? Like, and I think like you're, 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 you're forming, you're developing, but you often say, say and do a lot of weird things in your 20s that in your 40s, you would not be happy that a lot of people knew about it. You know what I mean? Like, no, but you know what's so funny? I feel like millennials and people like they're not as into it. 
Yeah. Like, I think it's interesting. Like we have a babysitter and she's like never on her phone. She doesn't do a lot of social media. I'm I like, that you up? like, you know, that's so interesting. Yeah. I actually have a lot of younger connections in their twenties and we're more similar than people my age. People my age in their forties, they're obsessed with phones and being and obsessed on, with like Facebook and they're and, obsessed yeah, with it. Obsessed. It's so weird. And, but I also think it's kind of like, it's a time in life. Like your life shrinks a lot. Like if you had all these friends and all your friends have these different lives now, they're raising kids and stuff and they're in the thick of it. It's like, they don't have a lot of time for you. So you start seeking out all this other interaction, you know, and it's like, it can be a very limiting time, a shrinking time in your social life. Uh, that's, that's, that's my guess. I'd have no clue. I'm just guessing. I think it's a shrinking time in your social life, but also it's a way to tell people what, like, I always feel like, you know, cause my husband was in the hospital, as you know, last yeah, week. Yeah. And so I posted on Facebook, like, you know, he's out of the hospital, but you know, just yeah. giving, and then I'm like, okay, but does everyone need to know this? Like, <laughs> you know, but, but it's an easier, like, to be honest, like it's yeah. for me, it's just easier. Like, let me just get it out there because uh-huh. then I don't have to tell nine, you know, tell a bunch of different yeah. people. Um, so in some ways it's a good vehicle of information, not having to, you know, to contact yeah. all of your friends, but <laughs> all of your friends need to know all your business. I think we've messed up what friendship actually means. I mean, I, I don't think we have, I don't think most people have a good sense of that, you know, with that stuff. It's like how we call things is, is really interesting. It's followers versus friendship. I'm like, I don't think people often think about the actual meaning of these things. It's like... I don't know. It's just weird to me. I'm like, I'm a big operational definition person. I'm like, friends, that's, that's a little much. I'm like, I don't know any of these people really that much. <laughs> you know, like you're an acquaintance, like, but, that, <laughs> but that, does that look good online to say, Hey, click to be my acquaintance, you know, it's like, <laughs> like we're now acquaintances. That's the more appropriate thing. And you know what they right. should do? I got a great idea. Okay. You need to go from like levels of connectivity online. So like, we're this is entry level acquaintance. And then over time, you can earn a way to move up to friend to click, make it a friend actual on here. And then you move up and then you're like a BFF or something like that on there. Like, you know, they at least have like relationship status and stuff. Why can't you have like a friendship level status? Oh, I'll tell you why. I think I think that there's a slight flaw. Okay. Can you demote? I think you should be able to do like, you know what? You were my BFF, but I don't really, yeah, you're not cutting it. <laughs> if we're being transparent, it's, you should be able to go down. Okay. <laughs> I need to think about this. I don't know. Right. They tell me people <laughs> in your life where they at one point like this level and then they went down or they, you know, somebody went up like, why did, it's not a static thing, you know? It's true. It's not static. So like maybe some people I was really good connections with, and maybe we have less of a connection. Why can't I like sublevel this connection? Like, oh, I don't want to drop them from my thing on LinkedIn, but can they be like a different version? <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> now, you know what? You were trying not to spend time on social media. You just like quadrupled your time. I just there. did. And I was like, <laughs> you know, it's like, but then people would get upset. We're not connections and you made me an acquaintance. I'm like, I mean, isn't that what we are? I mean, we don't talk. There's too much drama in that. There's too much drama. In that. Yeah, that's yeah, that's opening up way too many cans of worms. I mean, but people are complex like that. It's not like this is just like reality of life. Right. You know, I'm into reality. Like this is how it is, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, does nobody want to live in like how it actually happens? I guess everybody wants to live in the fake world, I guess. I don't la la land. Yes. We all like being in la la land. They're like, I, I don't want to be a part of <laughs> I don't want to be a part of my life. I want to be part of like my supposed life. <laughs> like, right, right. You know, I don't know. It's something weird about that to me. I don't know. But we're probably headed towards that regardless, you know. I think we're here. (laughs) You know, like VR augmented reality. I fully believe we're headed towards that. I'm just not so sure about it. Like if it's the right thing, you know. Well, I think from what I innately and intuitively can tell about you from this point, I picture, you know, you're running that track. You're real, you know, you're about that. That's, that's real. Yeah. I want to be real. I want to be when whatever thing I'm on, whatever interview I do, whatever podcast I do, I want people to go, that's the same guy. That, that person's very consistent in their behavior. And for a long time, over a long period of time, you can fake things on a short, short short-term basis, but 10 years down the line, if you're still 
espousing the same values and stuff and you know, people, man, I want to be a part of that person's existence, mm. you know? And that's like you said, you know, the word that's sustainable. That's sustainable. And it's just, I know it, hopefully that's uh, a good takeaway from this, but like Kara, thank you so much for your time. Oh, it's and, been a pleasure. I'm so glad we finally connected. Me too. Me too. I wish the best for your husband, please. Uh, thank you. You guys keep on fighting the good fight. And uh, I look forward to future conversations. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. You got it. At Kroger, we work with local farms right in our own backyard to bring you food that's fresher than fresh. From homegrown watermelon that makes your mouth water to crisp corn picked right around the corner. Come pick out some yourself. Because shopping for local produce should be as easy as shopping at your local Kroger. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Drew and Jonathan Scott here to tell you that American Family Insurance wants to protect your dreams. So whether you're at home singing in the shower. Every note. Or prefer singing your heart out in the car like Drew. Cruising. You can save up to 23% when you bundle your home and auto insurance with American Family Insurance. Get a quote or find an agent at AmFam.com. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.